0: So we've been um, studying since the beginning of the year as a church, following sort of an outline of what's called the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith. Um, In 1643, uh, Parliament um, called together the divines, the um, scholars, the clergy, the pastors, uh, and they asked them to create a, a sort of template for what Christians believe. And so they did that. It took them a number of years, three or four years And it has guided the church uh, um, ever since. So, uh, all of this, of course, is um, uh, subservient, submissive to the Bible. The Bible is our only rule of faith and practice, but this is essentially saying so, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about creation? What does the Bible say about God the Father? What does the Bible say about Jesus? What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible say about sin? What does the Bible say about heaven? What does the Bible say about hell? What does Bible you know, all those subjects? What does the Bible say about marriage? What does it say about divorce? It's all in here, okay? Um, now, you know, it's interesting. One of the um, fun things in our church, is we have a lot of retired pastors that come here. Um, they, we got Methodists, we got Nazarene, we got um, uh, Baptists, we've got, I don't know, there's a variety uh, of them, and they come here and you might say, well, don't they believe differently? No, almost everything in here, all Christians believe. Um, you might think that, that every Christian denomination has some completely different, yeah, maybe um, the time of baptism, whether that's for just believers or whether that's for believers and their children, sure, there's differences like that. Um, get, a bunch of, get 10 Christians in a room to describe how what the Bible says about how the world will end and Christ will return, and you will have 10 different positions uh, from those 10 believers in the room so yeah there's differences but by and large all of God's people believe and that's why those retired pastors can come here because they hear us see us open the Bible and uh, and teach it and that's what we're doing this morning on chapter 21 of the confession which covers the subject of worship so stand we'll give our attention to um, God's word I'm going to read from three places in uh, in God's word Um, We'll start at Psalm 27, excuse me, Psalm 29, the first two verses. So hear what God's Word says. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Here it is, basically. What is worship? Ascribing to the Lord the glory due his name. That's worship, right there. Got it? Um Psalm ninety-five. We love Psalm ninety-five. Verse six says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Oh, come, let us kneel, bow down, and worship. And then all the way at the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the fifth chapter. Um, we read about where all of history is going you know missions we've had talked about missions in our church the last four weeks we've met missionaries to japan and um and uh our own michelle smith in in the heart of africa so what's the point of missions and evangelism it's to invite all the people of the world into what they were created to do and that is the white hot worship of god do you realize that do you know in heaven there'll be no missions In heaven, there's no evangelism. There's just worship, white-hot worship. That's our aim. And here it's described. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders, they fell down and they worshiped. Father, that's where we're going by your grace. Would we be practicing this day? Would we be practicing morning by morning in private? Would we be practicing as families together, worshiping? Would we be gathering corporately every weekend? Lord, make us worshipers. You deserve it. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. So, what are some things that, that one time they astounded us, but they become so common, they don't, they don't, um, they don't capture our attention anymore. They don't, they don't um, give us awe. Um, the wonder is lost. They don't stun us. I'll tell you one of them. I remember um, uh, seeing a picture in a magazine. And it, it, it was an overhead shot, like a drone shot of this beautiful uh, body of water. And there were sailboats you could see um, dancing on the water. And there was the, the sun was glistening off of it. And I thought, I want to go there. I was sure it was like Portofino. It was somewhere in Italy. It was some little cove. It was the Amalfi Coast. You know, I want to go there. I want to sit in some balcony overlooking that I would give anything to go there. And then I looked down at the little caption way down at the bottom and said, this is in Kings Bay in Crystal River, Florida. <laughs> Kings Bay, are you kidding? I live there. That's not that hot, you know, right? It's something you see all the time. It loses that sense of, uh, of luster. I'll give you a, a few other ideas. How about, how about uh, running water? Um. That, uh, probably haven't thought about that. Uh, yeah, I'm probably, you, I bet you turned on the faucet this morning. I was gonna say, I bet you showered, but <laughs> I'm not so certain. Um, running water, hot water. Think of safe childbirth. You know, it's not that long ago in our world that you had to have 14 kids to have seven that survived, right? Uh, past the, the first year of their life. The wonder of, uh, of safe and healthy um, childbirth the things we take for granted Um, text messaging I can still remember I'm not that old but I can still remember when a phone was wired right into the wall right Uh, and I can still remember the first time holding a phone unconnected to anything and there was a voice in there right talking uh, and you were amazed by it or a phone where you could text you know just by pushing certain things somebody on the other side of the world could instantly get a message we're not astounded by that anymore right diane and i went to um paris years ago and i i said i'm sitting by the window seat i don't ever sit by the window seat i want the aisle i got long legs but i said i'm sitting by the window seat because when this plane dips down and we're coming into charles de gaulle airport i want to see the eiffel tower and i remember we stepped out of our hotel every time i go there's the eiffel tower You know, we're at Notre-Dame. There's the Eiffel Tower. We're at Notre-Dame. I don't care. There's the Eiffel Tower. You know, we're at Montmartre. Uh, We come outside. I don't see the Eiffel Tower. Let's get around the other side. And it it made me wonder, how long would you have to live in Paris before you didn't even see it anymore, right? Do you realize why we're talking about worship? you realize what worship is every week, every day? It is the antidote for our becoming dull, to the beauty and the majesty and the splendor of God. Admit it in your heart, everyone knows if it's true, if we've been a Christian for any length of time, the things that once awed us and amazed us seem commonplace now. The wonder of the love of God for losers like us, right? Well, this morning's um, sermon is an invitation to tremble again at the awe and the majesty and the splendor of God did you see about the academy awards so there's Chris Rock and he's a comedian and he's um, uh, thrown out a few jokes and there's Will Smith and he doesn't like one of those jokes and he bounds up on the stage and slaps him in the face I mean that's high drama Have you ever been slapped in the face some of you deserved it <laughs> I mean it's a slap in the face a slap in the face that's what I'm praying happens to you this morning in this service that the grace of God slaps you in the face afresh with the awe and wonder of our God. You ready to go? Let's talk about worship um, together. We need a good slap in the face in the Holy Spirit. Ready? Let's talk about the prescriptive. What's prescriptive about worship? Where's the direction the Bible um, gives us? It, it, worship is ascribing to God the glory he's due. It's declaring afresh God's worth. In Old English, they would have called it worthship. It's, it's, it's ascribing to God, declaring his worth. It's not finding God useful, utilitarian, it's finding him beautiful, and glorious, and good. And the Psalms in particular and join us again and again. Praise the Lord, right? The Bible says praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This command, um, this directive, right, going forth. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What does that word mean? Hallel means praise, boast, right? Make much of. Hallel, Yah, Yahweh. Praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh. Praise God, the clear direction Uh, um, of the Bible to worship is to make God our boast and our joy and our treasure in our life I was preparing the uh, memorial service for a woman named Garnet Miller Garnet and Sam Miller were uh, the founders of our church a doctor and his wife uh, before anyone else they had the vision and the longing and uh, when I asked uh, Garnet's daughter I said describe your mother's um, spiritual life to me this is what she said she leaned across, she looked at me and said, Jesus was her whole life. And because Jesus was her whole life, she made, in her heart of hearts, she wanted, to, she wanted people who moved to Citrus County to become worshipers of Jesus too. And so she started this church so that Jesus would be your whole life. That's what the Bible talks about, right? You find, uh, Jesus said, someone found a treasure in a field. The only problem was they didn't own the field. It was somebody else's field, right? So to claim that treasure, what do they have to do? They had to sell everything to get the field so they could get the treasure. That's the passion of worship. It's discovering, and there is a treasure, and I will give anything to have it. There's one thing, and only one thing, worthy of our unadulterated Devotion. I tried to teach my children do not be a respecter of persons. Do not be awed by status or celebrity or wealth that other people have. They're just people. Everybody's just people. If you really knew them, you wouldn't be that impressed. So I tell them I don't care if Tom Brady or Barack Obama or Taylor Swift is, uh, is across the street eating at a restaurant, I wouldn't walk across the street. Um, to get a picture or uh, say I was within five feet of one of those people. Because I know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the one I want to be impressed with and nobody else. Um, so here we get then to the root of, uh, of the problem uh, with us. Um, you know, uh, the root of the problem with us is we're created to worship, we're made to worship, but we don't. We don't give God what he Deserves. Romans um, chapter 1 tells us. For what can be known about God is plain to man. God's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world by everyone. They are without excuse, all of mankind. Although they knew God, they didn't what? They didn't honor him or give him thanks. They didn't worship. They didn't respond to God revealing himself. I have made myself known to all men. And the response was not worship. It's implications. The existence of God brings implications. Um, A friend of mine told me recently, he said he has a a, a 20-some-year-old son and one of his son's uh, friends, proud, cocky, young guy, walked into their house. And my friend's a pastor and this kid looked at my pastor friend and he said, can you give me one good reason to believe in God and um, my friend said yeah I refuse to believe that you don't matter that kid said wow that's good (laughs) that's good you see there's implications if there's no God if there is no God you don't matter you realize that You came from nowhere, you're going to nowhere, you're a cosmic accident. There is no heaven, there is no hell. Nobody made you. You don't have an eternal soul. You don't have intrinsic worth, right? There's implications if there is no God. If there is no God, what Russians did in Bucha and the Ukraine, there's nothing wrong with that. It's the power of the strong over the weak. We're just all animals. That's the implications if there is no God. There's implications, but there's also implications if there is a God. And you know what the implication is? He deserves your worship. He deserves your awe and your honor and your respect and your devotion because he made you and he sustains you. He's God, right? He deserves I thought I'd start the sermon by saying, are you a worshiper? I like to start with a question. Who here is a worshiper? The problem is everybody's a worshiper. Martin Luther said we're idol factories. We all worship something. We're all giving our um, affection to something. We're all elevating something to the place of worship. Um, The Bible says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why does God tell us we shouldn't have any other gods before him? Because we constantly have God's Uh, before him we are all worshipers but rather than giving god what he deserves our passion and our joy we give it to other things right why do parents stand at the gates at the little league field and hector um, uh, the umpires it's not um, because they're great believers in justice i used to tell myself that when i did that very thing i just believe in justice um no it's because our children's performance validates us. We want them to do well so we feel good about themselves, right? We make our children's performance. Do you believe that not very long ago we had play schools that would put, um, you know, Smith Elementary. My child, they had bumper stickers they'd give to the parents to put on the back of their cars. My child is an honor student at Smith Elementary, you could go all over the place. People have these bumper stickers on their cars, bragging about their kids. What's wrong with us, right? So, our appearance, our success, our house. Listen, you want to see worship? Go to any college football stadium on a Saturday night in the fall, right? I mean, what any pastor wouldn't give to see that kind of energy, that kind of devotion, right? I'm a big fat guy. With three beers in front of him, sw- swinging a, "we're number one" thing. You know, guys never run. What do you mean we we are number one? He couldn't run ten yards, you know, without falling over dead. So we worship. Give God what God alone deserves. We give Him glory for um, for what He's done. We give Him glory for who He is. I mean, who is God? You know this confession has catechisms, a larger catechism and a shorter catechism. And, um, and um, here's one of those questions in the larger catechism, number seven. What is, uh, what is God? Let's read it together. God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, Almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Just shut your mouth and worship, right? Worship. This is our God. Worship for who he is and for what he's done. You know, Theodore Roosevelt had said he used to take people outside the White House after all the pomp of of the bigwigs gathering there for dinner that before they left, he'd walk them outside and he'd have them stand and he'd direct them to look up at the sky. And then he'd said, now, good, now we're appropriately small, let's go home, right? We're not big shots. Look at who is a big shot, he made this. Look at this, look at these facts. Our galaxy is 587,000 trillion miles. It takes 100,000 years for light to pass across our galaxy. It's one of 100 million such galaxies. Isn't that, just try to fathom that. It's one of such, uh, there's 100 million Milky Ways. In our galaxy alone, there are 100 billion stars. The sun is a modest one burning at 6,000 degrees centigrade in an orbit at 450,000 miles per hour. It will take 230 million years for it to complete a revolution around our galaxy. Shut your mouth and worship. He made it. Where are we in the middle of it all? I'm, I'm big. I'm important. We're little. Little. He's big. Awesome. You know, I love when people ask me about my dad because I can tell them, "Yeah, my dad was a great athlete. My dad played semi-pro baseball, traveling around. My dad was a football player. My dad was a World War II veteran. My dad was a carpenter. My dad built the house we grew up in in Miami. Um, my dad was a father of six children. My um, my dad was an executive. He was a land developer. He was an engineer." He was an elder in our church. He started a Sunday school class uh, for men because all the men would come and drop their kids off for Sunday school, and then read the paper and drink coffee out in their car, wait for Sunday school to be over, and then and then take their kids home. So he started a Sunday school class just for men, um, and uh, and scores of men flooded in there and met. Um, I just like to go on and on and tell you about my dad, right? Who do, who who doesn't want to have a boast-worthy dad? You do. Boast about him. That's called worship. With me? Secondly. Secondly, how do we actually do it? The Bible describes what God wants in worship. The Father seeks true worshipers, right? Jesus said to the woman at the well, "The Father seeks those who will worship in spirit. And in truth, true worshipers. Well, what is true worship? True worship is what the Bible prescribes. We don't just sit in a room and think about what we ought to do. Um, interestingly enough, though, there's more in the Bible about what is not true worship than what is true. There's more about false worship being condemned in the Bible, which it just goes to show that everybody's a worshiper all over the world. And more worship is unacceptable to God than worship that's acceptable them to god so there is not all that passes for worship is pleasing to god amos chapter 5 listen to what god says i hate i despise your feast i take no delight in your solemn assemblies even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings i don't want them the peace offerings of your fat and animals i, I won't even look at them take away from me the noise the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps i don't listen let justice rolled down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I feel like God's speaking to slave owners there and saying, set your people free and then I'll listen to your worship. Not before then, right? God's saying, I hate it. I hate what you're offering up to me. Um, so what is true worship? A couple things. True worship requires engagement, right? Some people say, oh gosh, you know, my wife made me go to church today with the family. I had to do worship, you know. Showing up here and planting your keister in a seat doesn't make you a worshiper, right? Um, Just your presence in a worship service doesn't make you a worshiper. It involves engagement. You know, you can even sing a song and cross yourself and light a candle and kneel and take communion. But true worship isn't doing worship stuff. Jesus said these people... Um, honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me right they talk about me but their hearts are far from me last week I was in um, church in Tallahassee my son's church and uh, and I don't get to uh, sit in the crowd that often so I was just taking in the the vibe in the room and I was watching some men near me And this one guy sitting right across the aisle he was like this and he, has, he was so tight, like defending himself. And, uh, and then i seen him do The sermon hadn't even started yet, and he was doing that. And <laughs> at one point he got his phone out, we'll put it back. Uh, I mean, he was so not there, even though he was there. Uh, and I found a couple others just like him. Um, so, listen, you go to church but you're not a worshiper if you're not recognizing that Jesus is the center of your world. Secondly, true worship requires truth, right? Now, that's not the world we live in. We, we live in a pluralistic um, culture, so we believe that every uh, religion should be able to be practiced freely and uh, shouldn't be legislated against it and, um, uh, and all that stuff. And we think that's the democracy and we think that's a good posture to take, But just because uh, we believe in a freedom of practice of diversity of religion doesn't mean that all those practices, all those religions are equal in validity, right? True religion requires truth. Some people uh, would say things like, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you go to church. Some church, some religion, we're just good with that. Um, uh, as long as you're sincere, well, you can be sincerely wrong, right? Um, the, the, the Bible prescribes who God is, um, and take the Mormons. They do not believe what the Bible prescribes about Jesus. They do not believe in the Trinity. Um, they are sincere as they can be, aren't they? They are lovely people and lovely neighbors and wonderful in so many ways, but what they offer is not true worship because true worship requires truth, right? uh muslims could people be more earnest than muslims they fast more than you do they pray more than you do they get on their knees their posture their devotion but true worship requires truth right there's only one mediator between god and men the lord jesus christ you can't worship any other way and it'd be acceptable to god as true worship the father is seeking true worshipers true worship uh, requires humility not pride, right? What did David say in Psalm 51? The sacrifices of God. What sacrifices he want? A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, right? We come to God with brokenness. Jesus tells us that two men went to the temple to pray, right? Two men went to the temple to worship. One man was a tax collector. The other man was a religious conservative. And the religious conservative looked at the tax collector and said, I thank thee, God, that I am not like him. And the tax collector, considered the most wicked in their culture, said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one went home justified? Do you know how many people go to church in America to hear the pastor tell them that they're justified? that they're the justified one. And so they walk into church as religious conservatives and they, um, and they, they want the pastor to say something about sexual immorality so they can say, thank you, God, that I am not like one of those LGBTQ people that are ruining our culture. Thank you, God, I'm not like one of them. And thank you, pastor, for reminding me that I'm better than them. That's what people want to hear in church. But in fact, you know what God says? When you walk in any room, you ought to believe that you're the worst person in that room, the person who needs Jesus more than anyone else, and that you come to God with all your brokenness and all your shame, right? Um, You know, the room just got real quiet in here. Um, But this is what true worship means, is that we don't walk in and say, God, I thank you I'm not like so-and-so. I'm not like them. Those, those icky people. Oh, God, have mercy on me. A sinner is the posture of worship. Realize that what's wrong with the world is not environmental wackos from Oregon. What's wrong with the world is me. And last of all, true worship. Past that one. Last of all, True worship requires self-denial. It's not self-absorbed. You know, I went to church, but the worship didn't do anything for me. True worship requires self-denial. It's not about you. I'm not sure I like the music. Who cares? Your liking the music isn't the object, is it? Um 75% of American evangelicals agree that God wants them to prosper financially. That's what it's about, huh? God's aim in life is to make your life a life of ease and wealth. 77 years ago yesterday, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung. A clergyman in Nazi Germany who would not submit to Hitler like so many in the state church did He resisted Hitler, and on Hitler's command, shortly before Hitler took his own life, they hung him with piano wire at Flossenburg Prison. Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood. He wrote, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. You got it? True worshipers understand their self-denial. Do you ever stop and think all the people that think that, that Christianity is about becoming wealthy or having god always keep you healthy and well when every one of the people who wrote the book got martyred they all got murdered so true worship worship is um is intentionally crafted to interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves what is true worship it's seeing the greatness of god and responding to it right It's giving our thankfulness um, and fears to God in prayer. It's giving him our sins in confession. It's giving him our praise in song. It's giving him our children in baptism. It's gratefully giving him our money for his mission. It's giving him our attention as he speaks to us through the preaching of his word. It's giving him our all, our reverence, and our affection. Oh my. Her name was Liz Higgs. She was not just a feminist, not just a radical feminist. She was described as a militant feminist. She had uh, evil done to her by men. She had a lot of reason for her staunch anti-posture. She used to be on the Howard Stern Show, one of the leading theologians of America. And (laughs) she had one friend who was a Christian. And this friend used to bug her to the dickens by inviting her to church. So finally she said, all right, one time. Here's the deal. One time I go, and you shut up about church. And so she went to church, and guess what the pastor's text was to preach on? Wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) And she was just boiling inside. But then the pastor turned to the rest of the verse and he said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up and died for her. Husbands, die for your wives. And she leaned over to her Christian friend and she said, if I could find a man willing to die for me, I would submit to him. And what do you think her friend said? I got one for you. <laughs> There's somebody who died for you. Worship him. Right? So real quick we're going to finish now. What's some of the what's what's some of the are the priority? True worship is the highest activity man's capable of. It must take priority because it's a sign of true conversion. It's an evidence of saving faith. I went out to uh, uh, lunch with a young couple a couple weeks ago in our church. I love this. They're brand new married. They're a young couple. Uh, they moved to our community, getting to know them. So I asked, How, you know, how'd you meet each other? They just got married last year. I said, how'd you meet each other? And uh the young woman, she's kind of feisty. She pipes up and she says, well, she's describing the first date. She said, this relationship almost didn't survive the first date because I asked, are you a Christian? And he said, absolutely. I was raised in the church. She said, what church do you go to? He said, I don't go to church. She said, well, then you're no Christian. <laughs> How do you call yourself a Christian and you don't go to church? That's unfathomable to me. I've heard that and I was like, yeah make this woman a preacher Um, (laughs) she and her husband joined the church Um, she lit the fire under him Um, it's a sign of true conversion secondly the priority it's daily we worship daily Uh, a friend of mine um, taught me this little phrase it comes right from the bible but when my eyes open in the morning I hear it i will arise and go to my father that's the first thing i want to say when every day starts you know who said that the prodigal son right the prodigal son when he found himself in the mess uh, utter mess of his life i will arise and go to my father every day starts that way right i will arise and go to my father and god help me do that and not to the cell phone right And it's family. Worship is family, and worship is corporate on the Sabbath day. Diane and I went to church on our honeymoon, not because we are so spiritual, but because we are so desperately not spiritual. You got it? It's every week. It's every week. Three, it's transformative, worship is powerful if you want to um, see a friend a child um a neighbor converted get them around god's word and get them around god's people what happened in the bible what did paul tell the corinthians he said if an unbeliever or outsider enters the assembly he is convicted by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God. This is somebody who's an unbeliever. They don't believe in God, but they come in the assembly and they have to declare, God is really in this place. Do you know how often I hear people say that? Bill Nicholas said that. He said he came on, Christmas, came on Easter and uh, he walked out crying. And he came to the pastor's class three days later, and he met Jesus. And I I said, what made you cry? And he said, it was real. God was there. It was authentic. Something was happening that I was on the outside of, and I needed to get on the inside of it this week when when this service is over people are going to come down front so you can come and pray with them if you want to we stopped doing that for co- with covid but we're reinitiating it this week why because when the word goes forth when the spirits in this place where two or more are gathered then god's active he's always at work i don't know how he's at work in you today maybe you want to pray to receive christ maybe you want to ask for prayer for something in your life for your marriage whatever they're here they're praying for you because it's powerful right when god's people gather and they worship and the last thing i want to say is um it's vital it's life sustaining is worship you know why does a person on um on uh, with kidney failure why do they go to dialysis all the time i mean what an interruption of your life three times a week like right why does why does somebody with kidney failure do that because it's a matter of life or death, right? If they don't go, they die. What, why, does, why does a marathon runner slow down and go by that water table and snatch that water off the table in the middle of the race? Why do they do that? Because if they don't, they'll die. Why do you feed your children every day? Why don't you just take a couple days off? Right? will you shovel that food at those little rats because if you don't (laughs) if you don't they won't make it and why do you go to worship when you wake up in the morning and why do you go to corporate worship every week every week every week remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy it's one of the big ten why because without it your soul will shrivel and die and that's why jesus gives it to us there we got it so we got a lot of visitors here so just a word to you guys Um, if you're looking for an impressive church you've come to the wrong place if you're looking for impressive people I'm told we have somebody; just haven't met him. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for an impressive building, y- y- you know we got a we got a pretty one, but so what, right? If you're looking for impressive preachers, keep looking. You know, if if you're looking to be wowed by the music, that's not that's not our aim. There's only one thing impressive here. Our God. That's all we got. That's all we need. Amen.